You are listening to the Hybrid Cloud Forecast Series with host Andre Tost. All right, yes, welcome everyone. Thanks for joining the next episode of the Hybrid Cloud Podcast. Today, we welcome Raj Nagaratnam with us. Uh, Raj is an IBM fellow and he is the CTO of IBM Cloud Security. Welcome, Raj. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Andre. Thanks for the opportunity. Pleasure to be here. So we'll talk about security, obviously, quite a bit today. But before we go there, you know, given this is hybrid cloud and so forth, maybe give us a quick introduction of yourself, kind of your background, you know, how you got to be what you are. We've obviously, you and I have known each other for many, many years. And then getting into kind of what is hybrid cloud and how does that relate to the things you do? Sure thing, yeah. It's a fantastic journey that we have had, Andre. You and I, part of a broader team uh, here at IBM. I would say, as as Arvind would say, right, there's there's a mainframe era, then there was the web era, now it's the cloud era. We have at least lived through the, along with you and others, we have led then uh, some of the era around web to cloud. So I would say my career focused on the web security aspects of it, uh, what ended up as a WebSphere product, so which is great. All the pleasure to working with clients. From WebSphere security, from those web days all the way to now driving cloud security. So working with clients on a daily basis through their journey, be it in those days in web all the way to now cloud, has been what keeps me at, uh, at night and uh, what makes me enjoy. And also the fantastic team, like working with you, working with, across IBM. IBM is a company of many uh, units. So have been through software group, uh, when we had software now into cloud, it's how in the customer's journey, how they think about adopting and adapting and innovating in a hybrid cloud and helping them solve all the security and complaints problems. So that's what keeps me up and what I enjoy every day. So let's go back to this hybrid cloud, right? I mean, you're obviously a member of the IBM cloud organization. That's your cloud, if you will. Mm-hmm. What makes it hybrid or what's your definition of hybrid cloud? How does it relate to customers' notion of hybrid cloud? Good question. From a customer perspective, there are customers who have built their technology, IT on-premise. So they go from, hey, I have it on-premise. What do I do in as I consume cloud? So enterprise out-use cases. And when we say cloud, they can deploy on a public cloud like IBM Cloud, Amazon, or Azure. They can consume cloud services, even if it's a SaaS service like Workday, Salesforce, and so on and so forth, or also consume on-premise as a private cloud. So when we think of a hybrid cloud, the notion is how they consume a technology as a service. It could be infrastructure, it could be middleware, it could be PaaS or SaaS, as a service across a hybrid real estate. It could be on-premise, it could be on other multi-clouds as well. So that's the way I think of how customers take a um, cloud journey across these uh, different locations, if you may. Uh, and that's that's what makes it hybrid. Okay. And then coming back to security, and I, I keep joking that usually if someone mentions the word security, I try to run out of the room and thinking, I, I don't know how that works. I, I still feel... I th- still think about security as, as a very, very broad term, right? It goes into encryption of data and key management, identity management, login, SSO, and things like that, threat detection and handling and management and so forth, right? So you probably say, well, security is all of the above, but where do you even get started? I mean, if someone says, okay, what makes your cloud secure, for example, you know, how do you approach that question? 
Yeah, the important point is as a security guy all through my career, I'll be the first one to say there's nothing that is 100% secure. It's all about risk. So the fundamentally when customers say how do I approach security, identifying what the risk is and what they're trying to let's say what application they're trying to modernize. So understanding what risks that they are facing, what risks they need to mitigate will end up throwing light on what are the set of security technologies and domains that they need to embrace to achieve their end goal so that's why security is not a one size fits all it's about on one side based on risk another side based on requirements like like compliance and regulatory requirements and then from there you figure out now how do you mitigate the risk and meet those compliance requirements in a way that is specific to the architecture that you are building the applications that you are working on or innovation that you are trying to drive how do i do that if i and you mentioned the enterprise out kind of use case so let's assume i have a set of applications running on prem within my own data center and i'm now starting to move things out and it could be just like you mentioned could happen in multiple ways i can move my whole application i can move part of the application I can leave my application where it is but start consuming things that live in the cloud and so forth. Is it hard to extend and expand the security model that I have, you know, to start incorporating those kinds of things because I would assume there's new technologies that come into play in terms of say SSO for example, something like OAuth, you know, I may not be using that but now in the context of cloud that may become relevant, right? Yeah. So I think cloud is an opportunity to do security right. Even though we have lived through an era of understanding online and digital workloads and digital enterprises, what is happening out there? Um, there are still attacks, there are still compromises, there are still complaints because complaints issues that they face. It is fundamentally because when like you said, right? When we went to customers in those days like for the last couple of decades when we started with web and websphere and, and uh, things like that, we'll roll up our sleeves it was more a network centric approach you will say hey here's a firewall here is my demilitarized zone a dmzr and then behind that is my applications and then behind that is my data so three tier architecture is what we used to work on but now it was not anchored on what is the asset that you are protecting which is data so when we move to cloud we recommend customers and many of them do rethink their security approach start with the type of data you are trying to protect network castles and moats are gone those are the days where you can only rely on them we need to take what is the industry in call a zero trust approach trust no one there are design principles that you need to weave in to say how is my data protected who can have access to the data where is it exposed from a network perspective which applications can access it through is it open to the public internet or private and is it a user who can access it or can other applications access it so in this composable world where you can have microservices in different enterprises and you can connect them together having a view of what that workload does and across the lens of identity network application data centric view is important because that will drive your policies and controls many companies including IBM we have gone through there's a it's not you cannot lift and shift even your enterprise security policies that you use for two decades you need to rethink that so the cloud policies and cloud security policies are important and that's what people do in terms of what it means to adopt and adapt and integrate with cloud 
And uh, so, yeah, it starts with policies and controls, the technologies that you use and apply, the processes. No longer is the transformation that's happening that you know, Andre, where it's no longer a application team builds the application, throws over the wall to an IT team to run it and host it. The application teams who's building it becomes important part of running it. So DevOps, weaving that into DevSecOps become important. So fundamental thinking of security as a forethought, not an afterthought, is important. It's an interesting point I want to I wanna poke on where you said DevOps and then you said DevSecOps. I, I sometimes, if I want to put it in real simple terms, I feel like DevOps was the first stage, right? Then DevSecOps was added, right? Sometimes I even go, and you may now start to disagree as I'm going, well, maybe GitOps is kind of the next stage that kind of surrounds it all. So on that maturity scale, if you will, how far along do you think the industry is? So the customers that you work with and that you talk to, do you think they're all fully embracing DevSecOps or is that still kind of a new evolving thing? In the relative maturity, the uh, maturity scale and the wide adoption is definitely in the early stages. Because there are two fundamentally things happening. Traditional enterprises, especially large ones, they've been trying to transition from a typical development model into a DevOps model, taking automation as core part of the discussion. And soon, immediately they realize, especially when they're dealing with confidential sensitive data, etc., and they're rethinking cloud security, that security need to be integral part of that. So DevSecOps is a kind of following that relatively in the maturity space, but I see it becoming much more mainstream soon as people really understand what they're trying to do, that it cannot be, again, you cannot deploy a workload through your DevOps process and somebody else comes and puts security around it. Nope, all it takes is those few seconds. Your workload is exposed to the internet with less security. That's why it becomes a risk conversation. And there is even, there are things happening that, that I'm aware of is that even here in the US, we now have a new executive order came straight down from the White House in terms of how we secure our software development process, so to speak, that ties directly into into what you just said. And it makes us change the way we do things for the better, I think. For the better, for sure. (laughs) Because I mean, the, the important thing, be it the executive order here or the regulations in Europe, like Scrims too, or um, similar data sovereignty trends that are happening around the world and privacy requirements, when you look at it, it's all based on the learnings. More attacks that you see, data breaches you observe, and mistakes that are made that businesses are completely affected. It's no longer some uh, IT department or security department getting affected. Fundamental business can go down if you don't do security right. Therefore, it's becoming a mainstream discussion more now and including the government policies. Regulations have always been there. The level of regulations now going into our practices that go at the technology level is increasing, and that is a good thing. I mean, a good example of that is obviously the recent Log4J fiasco, as I call it, right? And interestingly, that made it to the first pages of the regular news, right? Where all of a sudden people even who know nothing about IT say like, what is this Log4J thing that everyone talks about, right? (laughs) Exactly. Even though to some degree, I mean, the challenge obviously is we do in in where I work, we're doing a lot of container-based software, right? And so we create container images. We do a lot of vulnerability scanning and we have tons and tons of discussions with customers about how we do it, when we do it, how we patch things when there's vulnerabilities. And one major challenge in that space is how quickly things change, that there's always new vulnerabilities that are being detected. 
which basically means you can never at any point in time guarantee that your software is going to be completely vulnerability free, so to speak. Yeah. Log4j was one of those things that all of a sudden it came up. And then in that case, I don't think we could have prevented it, right? But the problem was how quickly we could turn around fixes and how quickly we even became aware of where this was used in our own software. No, exactly. That one, uh, what happened with SolarWinds last year, it underlines the importance of not just what you build, but also what you consume, or especially supply chain, right? Supply chain security has become an important topic. So that as you have a set of bill of materials, do you know where you're getting from, what it contains, so that you can have an inventory of what you use. So similar to asset management within an enterprise and IT assets, having software assets and bill of material become important. If you think about it, these are just basic good practices that then get codified into security and controls, ultimately. And it drives automation. I mean, for us, it immediately drives the need for quick turnaround times. We need to have automations and automated testing in place you know, to react to these kinds of things. In that context, by the way, Log4j obviously is open source software, right? So there's no single vendor to blame, so to speak. And just this morning, I was in a call about the Open Source Secure Foundation, which is a new kind of industry-wide initiative that IBM plays a role in as well to, to address these things. And I think this was all triggered by this whole Log4j thing. So in that respect, it's created some good outcomes in a way, as weird as that may sound. No, I think, yeah, I think absolutely. If you take the infamous bank data compromise that happened maybe now seven, eight years back, a long time ago now from internet time, as simple as things like are you configuring, it's, it's cool to use object stores and, and cloud native application. It's all well and good, but basic things like are you securing it? Are you configuring it so that the object store bucket is not exposed to the internet? Do you have the right encryption in place? Do you have the right uh, identities accessing that? Do you have the practices? So if you think of that gave rise to the entire market around what's called security, uh, like cloud security, uh, posture management. So many of that, if you think of various things that's happening out there, there's good news is there's lessons learned. That ends up being a plethora of tools that comes up, but it gets codified into more controls. So fundamentally taking some of this uh, too hard and taking more of a data-centric approach, that's what we're doing with, Things like our IBM Cloud for Financial Services. We work with banks and built it for the banks, financial service institutions, and other regulated industries can also use. It's a regulated cloud. But fundamentally, we've codified these controls baked at the highest level of security that's required and the risk appetite these banks have into controls all the way to technology. Because if banks need to onboard in a cloud environment, an, an ISV, an independent software vendor to come on board it, uh, or, or even to work with a cloud service provider, it takes 18 to 24 months to do one assessment because there's a rigorous process. So they cannot scale. So innovation is slowed down because of the challenges and the, uh, what they ha- need. So that's why we focus on uh, things like controls framework that can be codified. Technologies like you protect data with the highest level of protection with data privacy in mind and even new innovations that as an industry that we have done around things like confidential computing. So at data at heart, what you can do. So bringing that together and working with the industry becomes important. So all of the standardization on one side with private-public partnership, offerings and platforms that are built with the customers and with uh, ecosystem partners, that's a way to continue to propel. All it takes is the other side, the bad actors, so to say, for them to find one vulnerability or one hole and you're down. So that's how we need to figure out how to work with it. 
First of all, I think it's a good point to say there's different kinds of clouds. We're seeing the emergence of what I think of as specialized cloud. Financial services cloud is one of them. We have government clouds of all kinds of ways. And sometimes the government clouds go into the extreme all the way into being completely cut off and disconnected. But let's say that most environments are somewhat connected in a controlled way. Can you give me an example of financial services cloud? What is something, a technology or a piece that is in there that you will not find in, say, our, quote, regular IBM cloud? Yeah, we are the only cloud provider to have such an industry purpose cloud with the level of controls that is built in. So let me give a couple of angles here so you appreciate it because it's just not a technology discussion, but we do have the technology. On one side, given the focus that they have, each bank have their own policies and controls. Let's say you want to make sure data is encrypted. That's a policy. And then be it data privacy requirements or other regulations, they will also say data encryption and you need to manage your keys. But if you double click on it, at a standards level, NIST has standards. NIST 853 is a standards framework for controls that enterprises follow and we adopted it also, right? We follow that and we use that as a base. But if you look at that particular control and let's start again using data encryption example, if I double click on it for a second, there's a control car around uh, secure communication, right? SC. And then it has number 12, 13, and so on and so forth. So SC 12 and 12, 13, if you look at it, it's about encryption and key management. It, it will say you need to have good practices for key management. You need to encrypt your data. In a public cloud, I need key management as well. I need encryption there as well, right? Exactly. So you will have it. But what we did, working with the banks like Bank of America, BNP Paribas, MUFG, Luminar, and others that they're all anchor clients for us that, that have been announced. If you look at them and working with them, it is just not about data is encrypted and keys out there. What good is it if you encrypt it and leave the key in the cloud? So we provide a mechanism and technology foundation, what we call keep your own key, where, Andre, we provide the highest level of technical assurance. It's just not about, hey, customer, we will not access your keys and data. We don't say that. We actually say, when you use a set of technologies, that we cannot access your keys or data. That's a very strong assertion. It goes from operational control that your policies, your people, if, you, if someone touches it, that you will notify the customer, et cetera, et cetera. If you look at Amazon privacy page, it'll say we will not access your data, but if there's a subpoena, then we will notify you when we hand over. But in IBM Cloud and IBM, we fundamentally believe in your data is your data. We don't do anything with it. We don't do machine learning, anything with customer data. We don't. That's our fundamental policy. Taking it all the way in the spirit, all the way to technology, leveraging our research capability, hardware technologies like what we used and still use in mainframe, the highest level of protection out there. We have built a key management service called Hyperprotect Crypto Services, where it's a dedicated hardware security module where the keys are stored and processed and computed. The key management service itself will run within a secure enclave, what, what the industry now call confidential computing. Imagine basically not only data is secured at rest, but in, even in memory. If you do a core memory dump, you'll get garbage. All of that hardened within this environment completely dedicated to the customer. So it's a single tenant. And the underlying technology, if you want to just brag about something that we got in IBM, it's the highest level of standard you can get from a, for a certification called FIPS 140-2, level four. Level four of a hardware security module means 
that not only can if you tamper that it will detect it but actually if you do thermal scanning and advanced attack types that it will even erase itself so the level of security seriousness that we have taken across research our systems from chip to cloud if i can say that's an anchor so that example if you think through from policies of encryption to nist based standards to an encryption technology it is built in to ibm cloud for financial services it is required to be used by isv software vendors and so on and so forth and also we continuously monitor it we provide tools called security compliance center it will check is your data encrypted is it on a private endpoint only if even if if it is gets opened up for a public endpoint when you do the scan and you can do that quite regularly it will find out so that you can remediate bringing that practices into code is something that we have done talking to customers they have spent millions of dollars and number of years on other clouds to bolt on security what we have done with ibm cloud for financial services if we have built in these controls so the customers can spend that money otherwise would have spent on doing these things on innovating because they are disrupted in their business model so the ability to innovate and innovate their business and build new applications we are enabling that that there you go there's an example and this is being used in many customers and even creating new markets so the buzzword now these days is cryptocurrency and if you think about it where are these currencies stored when you and i transact where is the contractual agreement smart contracts processed imagine these vendors who are building this technology if they lose the data or the key that business goes down it's an existential threat for them a number of them now build on the technology that i'm talking about on ibm cloud because we are the only provider who provides it they can build the metaco is an example a couple of weeks back there is an announcement like union bank of philippines partnered with metaco because they want to get into cryptocurrencies and the new market that they want to handle so they use this vendor solution provider metaco and metaco runs on leveraging these security technology so fundamentally security is not only becoming a risk mitigator on one side it's also becoming an enabler to these new opportunities and environment that's out there fascinating times yeah it sounds very fascinating indeed i think what adds an extra kind of challenge or opportunity either way to it is the fact that you you're the cloud provider right but security needs to be both sides right the provider and the consumer right you can put all the bells and whistles in the cloud you want if i create a virtual machine and i put a public ip on it and i have 1234 as my root password right then exactly that's not secure anymore no matter what you do so in that respect establishing security and a secure solution that's kind of a collaboration right between provider and consumer yes and and i take what you just described as an example of where as the provider you kind of pushing what we do to help to the limits so to speak right by, exactly by enforcing certain standards exactly because ultimately client success that's what we take pride in and helping them lowering the bar for them to understand adopt security is critical because developers normal developer doesn't understand security let alone understanding hardware and what apis and hardware to use so how do you bring down the barrier for developers to focus on what they do best in innovating while we take care of the heavy lifting and providing the tools for customers to continuously run it in a continuous compliant and continuous security mode it kind of reminds me and you said some of this earlier it reminds me of a discussion i had that was years ago with a customer that kind of opened my eyes to to this a little bit in there were two applications running in, a, in the same environment they had to talk to each other 
and they were on some virtualized kind of system where they had direct connectivity. And they said, we need firewalls. And we said, well, there are firewalls built into these virtual machines, right? They're software firewalls. And they said, no, 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 we need physical, actual appliances, firewalls between them as a matter of principle. And then I said, well, but the software firewalls technically give you what you need. Namely, it makes that connectivity impossible. And that's why I remember a person that was part of the CISO team of that bank basically said, it's not about what's technically possible or not. It's about risk management. Yes. So our insistence on a physical firewall is a reflection of our risk management strategy. And it's not really a technology discussion at all. And I thought that was quite eye-opening for me. I hadn't really thought of it that way. But another thing I wanted to poke on real quick is compliance. You mentioned a number of standards. Isn't it a big problem how many of these standards exist? Is that practically sometimes it feels to me like every government in the world have their own regulations and standards and mandate compliance with these standards. So we all know there's the big hitter, so to speak. And you mentioned FIPS, for example, or NIST. Or How do we approach this? How do we deal with this large number of different standards and compliance requirements we need to satisfy? I would say, ultimately, it comes down to a set of controls, practices, and requirements that need to be implemented or met. Having that core, once you meet it, another way to think about it is if you follow those requirements, then it's about how do you report them in the context of different standard one versus standard two versus standard three. I would say the the compliance landscape, you're absolutely right, across industries, across standards, across global, there are various things, but they are coming at it from what do they see that they can look at, audit, and report on. As long as you have the base set, For example, I talked about the financial services controls that we have in our financial cloud, right? In that context, what we have seen, you can map when we go and work with customers, they have their own control. You can map that to this and we find like first couple of weeks, we can do the mapping and it will be 95, 98% hit. You can crosswalk from there and say, I have these implementations and these practices and controls. How do I crosswalk from this framework into PCI or HIPAA or NIST standard or GDPR, depending on what you need to report to, how do you package it and understand it become important? So the core is to make sure there's a set of controls, then how you report. Yes, at times it's an intensive, manually intensive process also, and kind of number of auditors and regulators you need to work with, depending on uh, what you're trying to meet. But otherwise, the most important thing, and people are, are spending billions of dollars on this, especially larger banks and enterprises, how do you make compliance as code? Codifying those policies, codifying those controls all the way to cloud platform and infrastructure, automating them based on prescriptive profiles, prescriptive patterns that you can repeat is a fascinating area. And we are definitely pioneering in that and implementing it with what we have done with our DevSecOps toolchain that you can actually check for these controls at the time of deployment, analyzing the Terraform modules, Terraform scripts, right? the configuration before you even deploy so that this becomes more repeatable and you can collect evidence and you can monitor them with our security compliance center. Think about that kind of approach so that you can create these secure landing zones in and where it's always on compliance. All right. Very cool. I feel like we could talk about this all day, but we're kind of running out of time here. Before we let you go, 
A question I kind of always ask towards the end is, if you could give an example of a particular technology or a project or an effort or something that you're involved in right now that gets you really excited, that kind of makes you want to get out of bed in the morning and can't, can't wait to get to work kind of thing. Yeah, many things, but if I pick the whole area of data security and privacy and what we have done over the years, collaborating across IBM, collaborating with the industry, with confidential computing, be it not only our IBM, our Z teams, building our hyperprotect services, working with the industry, with Intel on one side, uh, our confidential computing consortium, but pushing that boundary because we are not done. There are so many ways and so many levels of protection that we need, especially as we expand into hybrid cloud and hybrid cloud deployments, your workloads will straddle, your data will straddle. This is fascinating. I, I love it. Because the company that's going to knock these things down and innovate and lead like what we are doing today is going to continue to pave the path for more secure and private environment. All right. I think that was a perfect summary, actually, for this call, for this conversation. <laughs> so I'll let you go. Thank you so much for coming. That was a really interesting discussion. And like I said, I, I feel like, wow, I can think of 10 more questions I have to ask. But we'll save that for some other time. Thanks again for coming. Thanks, Andre. Thanks for the opportunity. Have a good one, too. All right. So we'll wrap it up with this. Thank you all for listening and hope to see you all soon.